1: You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 13 Dropping Eaves. Today's proverb comes from Solomon. I'll read it twice. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Once more. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. I find this a very counterintuitive proverb. It's not what we would expect from someone like Solomon. Solomon was a man in authority, had many servants. Solomon was a man of careful words, well-chosen words, meticulously composed, sayings, maxims. It seems like Solomon would be one who had deep respect for words, deep care for words, and would be one to exhort others to care very deeply about words as well. But here he says, don't pay attention to every word people say. Now, his reason for exhorting us not to pay attention to every word people say is also counterintuitive. He says, don't pay attention to every word people say because you might hear your servant cursing you. Now, I think that a lot of people... Pay attention to every word that people say so they can find out if their servants are cursing them. If your servant is cursing you, don't you want to know? If you're in a position of authority and your employees are cursing you, don't you want to know? If you're a teacher and your students are cursing you, aren't you at least curious why they're cursing you? Aren't you curious what their complaints are? Now, this is not stated explicitly in the proverb. But I believe that there's an implication in the front half of it. And I'm taking the front half to be, don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. That's the front half. And the back half is, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Now, I'd like to suggest that there's an implication in the front half that it's not that your servants are cursing you to your face, but that you're overhearing them curse you. And thus, there's a kind of implied, don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may overhear your servant cursing you. It seems doubtful to me, That your servant is cursing you to your face. I also don't know that you would need to pay attention to every word that people say in order to hear your servant curse you to your face. It seems like the kind of thing that you overhear around the corner. It's scuttlebutt. It's gossip. It's information that you accidentally become privy to. You're standing around a corner... And you hear your students complaining, you hear your employees complaining. Or you realize that you're in a situation where you can hear them without their knowledge of you. And the natural or obvious human tendency in such a situation is to think, well, jackpot, now I can finally find out what they think of me. There is this general human intrigue that comes and goes, where we wonder what other people really think of us. Most of the time we can forget about this. Most of the time we can forget that people don't necessarily say what they think. Or that they're not always saying what they think. I love mentioning this to my students. I love mentioning... The fact that both you and I, teacher and student, sometimes fall into these little ravelries where we begin to wonder, what do my students actually think of me? Or the students begin to to wonder, what does the teacher actually think of me? He says nice things to my parents at parent-teacher conferences. I get decent grades, but does he really think I'm smart? Or the teacher is inclined to wonder, yes, the students are respectful. But what do they say about me when it's just them? I wish I could be a fly on the wall overhearing a conversation just between the students about their teachers. I find the many things about this proverb intriguing. Don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. And what is the proof for this? How do we know that paying attention to every word people say might lead us to overhear our servants cursing us? Well, the proof is your own tendency to curse others. You curse others, and you've got to recognize your own tendencies In other people. If you curse others, others curse you. So we can read the second half of the proverb as a kind of proof of the first. What do other people think of you? Well, what do you think of other people? But there's something else kind of fascinating going on here. Between the front half and the back half of the proverb don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Maybe not, though. On the other hand, Solomon says, you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So it's possible that your servants are cursing you, but it's certain that you have cursed others. The possibility of your servant cursing you is met with the certainty, with the absolute certainty, that you have cursed others. And not just once or twice, but many times. And Solomon says, you know in your heart that many times you have cursed others. Now, what's also odd about... The front half and the back half of the proverb is this other inequality. Not only the probability that your servant is cursing you versus the certainty that you've cursed others. But Solomon doesn't say, you know in your heart that many times you've cursed those you serve. He just says others. So on the front half, he says, don't pay attention to every word you say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. And your servant, of course, is in your charge. You have authority over your servant. But on the back half, he says, you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And he doesn't say who these others are. He leaves this open. Why does he leave it open? The servant is the only certain kind of person In the proverb. Apart from your servant, it's just you who curse others, indeterminate. Why? Why is it kept so open? Why does he not say, you know, many times that you've cursed your servants? Why does he not say, many times you've cursed your wife, your children? You know, many times you've cursed. The elders. You know many times that you've cursed the Lord. just says others. I think it's because you've lost count of all the people you've cursed. You've cursed so many people, you don't even remember them all. You've cursed people who drive too slow. You've cursed people... Who drive too fast. You've even cursed people who drive the same speed you do because you couldn't move from the left lane to the right lane. They're driving just as fast as you were, keeping pace right next to you. you cursed cashiers. You've cursed people with bumper stickers you don't like. You've cursed people who have no power... No authority over you. So Solomon turns it back on us. What do you care that your servant is cursing you? You make his life difficult. You tell him what to do. You can complain about your servant to his face. A teacher might occasionally hear his students complain about him. You've complained about your students while looking them in the eye. Your servants have to do their complaining out in the hall. They have to do their complaining in the fear that they might get caught. You do your complaining openly. You're the son of Solomon. You're the son of the king. You're the prince. You're the teacher. You're the boss. You're in control. Why do you care that your servant complains about him? He's your servant. You call the shots. You, on the other hand, have probably cursed him too, though he is your servant. And six dozen different other kinds of people as well. I find that this proverb is good... For correcting people who take other proverbs too seriously or out of context or without a grain of salt. And the proverb I'm thinking of that I almost loathe hearing quoted, because it's not treated like a proverb. It's treated like some kind of theological certainty is. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think that this proverb, don't pay attention to every word people say, is helpful in recalibrating how seriously we need to take the words of other people. I've heard a great many Christians treat the saying, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, like Freudian lawyers. Like, "Ah, I've got you. You said it. You're going to be held to it for the rest of time. And people act as though this saying, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, they treat this saying as though it means people never misspeak. Or they never say something and want to take it back. We treat this saying, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as though everything that people say can be analyzed. Analyzed. Systematically. And that if you pay deep attention to the words that people say, you can figure out what's in their hearts. So people don't change their mind, as though they don't speak out of turn, as though their passions don't get the better of them. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but people misspeak sometimes too. And if you're overhearing your servant curse you, There is a lot that you haven't heard your servant say either. He might be cursing you now, but he might speak well of you most of the time. So if you overhear someone say something, you are hearing it out of context. Now it has its own kind of context. But you can't take one thing you overhear your servant say to be the truest expression of all his feelings about you. You know that you've cursed people that you love before. And two minutes after you said something, you felt horrible about it. So people speak from the overflow of their hearts. Often. Typically. But we've all misspoken before. Solomon's proverb here don't pay attention to every word people say. Also assumes that a healthy kingdom, a well-run kingdom, is not one where absolutely everyone loves and cares for everyone else all the time. I think it's fair to take the Proverbs of Solomon as instructions on how to govern well. And part of governing well means not being a micromanager. Part of being a good king means not being a spy. Not trying to outsmart the people who take care of you. I want to go back to the first part of this proverb again. Because he is speaking about, in the front half... He's speaking about an inequality in power, right? Um, You and your servant are not on equal footing. You call the shots. He obeys you. One of the things that Solomon is cautioning his son against, and everyone else as well, one of the things he's cautioning us about is... Not assuming that the people you're in charge of are always entirely upfront with how they feel about you. The boss and the employee are not on equal footing. The teacher and the student are not on equal footing. The king and his subjects are not on equal footing. Now, I can tell you from experience that there's a temptation to believe otherwise. And I think that a lot of rookie teachers go through this and probably a lot of young bosses go through this as well. I'm referring to the belief that you and your students are good friends or that you and your employees are good friends. There's a remarkable passage in C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces, which occurs somewhat later in the book. And if you've read the book, this is right after Orwell becomes queen. She goes from being princess to being queen. And, of course, she has for much of her life been in love with a man named Bardia, a married man who is a servant of her father from the time she's young. But she grows up near this man. She's a bit younger than he is. And yet she admires him deeply. And then one day she goes from being princess to being queen. And within a few hours of becoming queen, she's anticipating a extravagant celebration with her closest friends, the fox, Bardia. She's expecting this intimate dinner with her closest friends to celebrate her new position and while she's expecting this it's late in the day it's five or six o'clock she's thinking we're all going to go to dinner together we're all going to talk about old times we're all going to talk of the future we're going to make plans she's thinking this and and then bardia the man that she secretly loves who is now her servant comes to her and says, Queen, the day's work is over. You'll not need me now. I'd take it very kindly if you let me go home. My wife's taken with her pains. We had thought it could not be so soon. I'd be glad to be with her tonight. And Orwell, as the narrator says, I understood in that moment all my father's rages. I put terrible constraint on myself and said, "'Why, Bardia, it's very fit. You should commend me to your wife "'and offer this ring to Ungat, their god, for her safe delivery.'" Bardia's wife is pregnant. The ring which I took off my finger was the choicest I had. His thanks were hearty, Bardia's. Yet he had hardly time to utter them before he was speeding away. I suppose he never dreamed what he had done to me with those words, "'The day's work is over.'" Yes, that was it, the day's work. I was his work. He earned his bread by being my soldier. When his tale of work for the day was done, he went home like other hired men and took up his true life. Bosses of all kinds, including teachers, maybe even especially teachers, can fall prey to this idea that they're just so good at what they do, that they're just so kind, that their employees and students just want to be friends. I think all rookie teachers, every rookie teacher has had this moment. You're in the midst of an impassioned lecture on some subject that's very dear to your heart. You're pouring out your heart to your students you're breaking yourself open exposing your soul to them pleading with them and in the midst of your pleading in the midst of your outpouring of words the whole atmosphere of the room just suddenly changes And everyone who was on your side one moment suddenly becomes bored with your pathetic, passionate, emotional, honest, generous human little speech. And you think, what's happened here? Why did everyone turn on me? What's going on? Everyone suddenly became bored, uh, uninterested in... Me or my heart. And then you realize. The class ends at 2.10 and it's 2.10. And while you have seen no one check their watch, it's as though they all suddenly know. They have some kind of internal clock that informs them. Class is technically over. You have to let us go. And they were with you a moment ago. But as soon as your time is up, they're ready to go. The day's work is over. And there you were thinking, we're friends. This is how friends talk to each other. And they were with you until your time was up. Now, the first time this happens to me to a young teacher, it's confusing, disorienting, disheartening, disillusioning, all the rest. But consider for a moment how ready to go you are when the last period is over. At three o'clock, Somebody might have scheduled some after school meeting with you to discuss something that's terribly important to them. And because you're a professional, you put on a brave face, play the part of resilience. But inside, you are ready to go home. You're ready for real life to begin. Your wife's sick, your kid's sick. You were in the middle of a project when you left for work in the morning. Everybody does this. We all wanna resume our lives when the day's work is over. So this proverb, don't pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you, or you might just hear your servant sigh at 5 o'clock. You might be able to interpret the weariness in your servant's eyes when you say, I Just one more thing I need from you today. The front half of the proverb concerns catching others, maybe even other people that you could punish. But the second half does not indicate the possibility of being caught. The proverb is addressed to one who could not get caught cursing others because he gets away with it. You know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And I'm going to say that there's a silent implication here you yourself have cursed others and gotten away with it and no one's overheard it no one's eavesdropped on you you've cursed others in your heart and only god has overheard it this proverb is especially interesting in the modern world Where the internet keeps track of everything people say. Right now, there's someone out there cursing you. They're cursing your church. They're cursing your race. They're cursing your family. Maybe even they're cursing you directly. As someone who's published an awful lot on the internet, I've been cursed by a lot of people. I'm not claiming to be famous but I will say that after three or four years writing for Circe I quit reading comments on articles that were shared on Facebook for this very reason can't pay attention to every word people say I've heard other I've heard well-known celebrities make the same claim, you got to very quickly give up reading the comments section. It's just too vexing to read the thoughts, the negative thoughts, the criticisms, the cursings of people about which you can do nothing. Of course, even when you can do something about it, as Solomon suggests, it's often not worth it. Once, several years ago, I was coming to class, and I was just about to walk in. I was two feet from the corner from the door. And I heard a girl in class say, around the corner who could not see me, I heard someone say, oh my God, this class is so Boring. (laughs) Now, I walked into class so close on her words. She had to guess that I had heard. And I looked at her. I didn't say anything. What could I say? She fell asleep in my class all the time. Had I ever cursed her while speaking with other teachers? Had I complained about her and carped about her when she wasn't around? I don't know. I've cursed too many people for too many random reasons to remember all of them.